At the beginning of the last chapter, Sam and Lily and their mother was around Halmoni's bed, and they were each more or less saying goodbye to Halmoni because Halmoni was slipping away. And and Lily knew that she had to do something to strengthen Halmoni and make her feel loved and and at peace. And so Lily started to tell a story about the tigers and the stars and climbing up to the sky. When I finish my story, Halmoni is smiling. Her eyes are closed and her pulse flutters barely anything anymore. I love you, I tell her. I squeeze one of Halmoni's hands. Sam squeezes the other. Mom strokes her hair. This is the end. But it doesn't happen right away, not like in the movies. Over the next few hours, her breath becomes softer and softer. We watch as she fades. The stories were supposed to save her, I say in a small voice. Mom makes a noise, and when I look at her, there are tears in her eyes. They did save her, Lily. They reminded her that the world is big, that she could be anything, that she was everything to us. Hamoni looks so pale, lying on the bed, so helpless. I'm scared, I say. I know, Mom says, but you're not alone. Sam reaches up to unclasp the pendant. She takes it in her palm, presses it into mine, and intertwines our fingers. Together we hold our little piece of magic, our piece of Halmoni. It's okay, I whisper, leaning so close to Halmoni that my tips brush her ear. I close my eyes and breathe. Sometimes the bravest thing is to stop running. It's okay if you go. We will be all right. I don't know for sure if she hears me, but I think she does. The room seems to sigh in relief. I look up and the world outside is dark, but through the window, two small spots of light blink back at me. It's hard to see. It's hard to know for sure. It could be the reflection of the machines inside, or it could be tiger eyes staring back at me. I watch them, my heart clenching tight like a little fist, and then they disappear, blinking closed. Something opens up inside me, a hole that wasn't there before, an emptiness and a loss, but also space, an open jar, a release. I lean my head against Halmoni's heart, and I sit in that small room with my family, When Halmoni finally does go, I know she's ready. She has always been brave. Chapter 45 The basement is flooded. The first night after we return to Halmoni's house, Mom throws the basement door open and shakes her head. Water laps at the steps. The boxes that Ricky and I worked so hard to stack slowly disintegrate into mush. Mom stares at the water for a long, long time before calling someone to get it fixed. The second night, Mom decides to sleep in Halmoni's room. Sam lies awake, biting her fingernails, and the rest of the house goes quiet. The floorboards don't wind beneath my feet. The doors don't sing. Without Halmoni, the house is just a house, a too quiet, 
too empty house that none of us know how to live in. The days pass quietly. The hours go blurry. Ricky texts me a continuous stream of his favorite foods, trying to cheer me up. And on the seventh night, after one official week, he texts, rice cakes. When I read the words, the thread of tears burns behind my eyes. I almost turn my phone off and hide beneath my covers. But his text reminds me of something. An important date rattles around in my head. On my phone, I check the calendar and I see tomorrow is the bake sale. I have an idea. And for the first time all week, the heaviness in my chest lifts a little. I tell Ricky my plan, then text Jensen before throwing my blankets back. I run down the attic steps, not bothering with invisibility. Banging around the kitchen, gathering pots and pans, I fill our home with noise. The house begins to wake. Mom comes into the kitchen with Sam trailing her. What are you doing? Sam blinks. Rice cakes for the bake sale. Sam's confused, but Mom doesn't question it. She walks over to me and starts pulling ingredients off the shelf. A jar of mochi flour, a box of sugar, a zuki bean paste. She says, we don't have to do the bake sale. We don't have to, I say, looking between her and Mom. But maybe we should. All that food, all those people, it'll be like... Understanding settles on Sam's face, and her eyes ache with grief, like a chosa. At the library, Mom says. For a moment, she looks too pained to speak, but she does. The library was one of Halmoni's projects so many years ago. She painted it bright colors and added cheesy posters. She always wanted it to be a special place. I stare at her, wondering how, all this time, I never knew. But I don't have much time to process that, because Sam asks Mom, Do you know how to make the rice cakes? Mom nods, but a bit of panic slips into her voice. Uh, I think, maybe, vaguely, and then softer. I never thought to ask. I think of the time when I asked Halmoni for her recipe, she said later, and now it's too late. But Mom looks hopeful, and I take a breath. It's okay, I say. Even if things aren't perfect, they can still be good. Mom squeezes my shoulder, and we begin measuring flour and coconut milk, based on what feels right, and cooking together, mashing our hands into mochi batter. That feels right. Chapter 46 Ricky and Jensen have spread the word. Nearly the whole town comes to the library for Halmoni's Hosa. Halmoni's friends fill the room with food and stories. People come up to us, tell us how sorry they are, how much they loved her. People we don't even know. People Halmoni helped or healed. Joe finds me, and at first I apologize. He isn't charging for the bake sale turned Rosa, of course, so the whole plan to save the library is ruined. I know we were supposed to raise money, I say. Joe shakes his head. This wasn't for money. This was for community, though maybe later we can discuss the break-in. My cheeks get hot. How'd you know about that? 
Intuition, he replies, and the kid-sized muddy footprints everywhere. Oh, I kind of forgot about that. But his mustache twitches and he smiles softly. Heartbreak is often messy. He hands me a cookie and I thank him. Across the library, Mom talks to a few adults I don't recognize, and Sam finds her way to Jensen. Jensen takes Sam in her arms and kisses the top of her head, and Sam leans against Jensen's neck. There's a love between them that confuses me for a moment, and suddenly it all makes sense. Sam's weirdness when she first saw Jensen. The nervousness when Sam asked me about her later. The way Jensen helped Sam scatter the rice. The way Sam tried to call her for help. They're a couple. I'm stunned, even though now it seems obvious. They're a good match. Jensen is nice and Sam is soft with her, and they fit. On the other side of the library, I see Ricky with his friends. They all wave to me, and Ricky abandons them for a moment, walking up to me with a wicker basket in his arms. He's wearing a black bowler hat today, a glamorous one that Harmony would have loved. Chocolate muffins, he explains. Joe gave me his recipe, and then with a tilted smile, I promise, no mud. He holds out the basket, the great-grandson of a tiger hunter offering baked goods to the great-granddaughter of a tiger god. I accept it, and warmth spreads up my fingertips and through my body. A small part of me perks up, smiles, and I'm not sure the smile reaches my face, but maybe this is how healing starts. Small bits of happiness waking up inside you until maybe one day it spreads through your whole self. I passed my language arts test, he says, so we'll be in the same grade in the fall. I smile for real this time. That's great, Ricky. He grins, and when I excuse myself, he gets it. He knows I'm not ready for a full conversation yet. I slip out the heavy front doors and sit on the steps, cradling the muffins on my lap. I think about our conversation before, about learning who you are, even in not-you situations. I've been doing that, pushing back the edges of me, trying to find the borders, and I'm realizing that so much more than I thought. Right now, I feel infinite. I take a bite of a muffin and then cough, spinning it into my palm. Salt. Ricky must have mixed the sugar up with the salt. The unexplained shocks a laugh out of me. Can I sit? Someone asks. At first, I think it, the voice is the tiger's. I keep expecting to hear her or catch a glimpse of her out of the corner of my eye. But I also know deep down she's gone. When I turn, I see Sam, who sits down next to me without waiting for a response. She reaches into the basket, grabbing a muffin without asking. I wouldn't, I say, but it's too late. Sam's already choking on her bite, spitting her own mouthful into her palm. She stares at me and I laugh and she laughs. And then we stop, abruptly dumping the chewed-up muffins back into the basket. It feels wrong to be happy right now. Does it, does it get easier, I ask? 
Does the sadness go away? Sam stares ahead. The sadness fades, yeah, eventually, but the missing, I don't know if that ever does. I press my thumb against my palm, and when I close my eyes, I can almost imagine it's Halmoni tracing my lifeline, telling me everything is going to be okay. The evening air heats my skin. It finally feels like August, and I feel my lungs with warmth. Sam scoots closer until our arms touch. In the sky, the sun is setting and the moon peeks over the trees. Will you tell me another story, she asks. I breathe in the second swell. I find my voice. Long, long ago, I begin. I don't yet know the ending, but I will face my story as it changes and grows. Because of Halmoni, I can be brave. I can be anything. I am a girl who sees invisible things, but I am not invisible.